All right, so I am excited to get into this today. I've been off stage for about three weeks. And what I do every summer is I go on kind of a mini hermitage, if you will. I put my out of the office reminder on my email. I put my, my voicemail setting to I'll talk to you later. I don't schedule any appointments as much as humanly possible. And I go and hold myself up with a pile of books in one singular purpose. Crafting a sermon storyline for the coming school year. It's disgusting that school starts. <laughs> There's a lot of things, I suppose, that are disgusting. I'm curious what you're laughing about, but, uh, but it is disgusting that school starts in like two and a half weeks for most people here in McHenry County. And um, what I like to do when I preach is kind of look at where we're going as a journey as opposed to a series of one-off events, looking for a theme or an arc that we can trace and follow that hopefully God will stir in and kind of lead us in progression in spiritual formation somewhere. And so for the last three weeks, I've been pretty much holed up writing 47 sermons for the coming year. But it started with something called NYG, or National Youth Gathering. It feels like it was 10 years ago to me. It's crazy to think that it was like two and a half weeks we were getting off the plane. National Youth Gathering, or as it's been recently branded, the LCMS Youth Gathering, is a once every three year event where students come from around the country and even internationally for a four-day blitz of life together, of growing in their faith in God. It was a cool experience for me. Maybe you were here two weeks ago when Boulder was up on this stage sharing their experiences about the youth gathering. And what I'd like to do today is share mine. And I'm calling this Confessions of a Parent. My wife and I got to go along on the youth gathering as chaperones with uh, a couple of other amazing adults and 17 students that we were quote-unquote chaperoning, and I put it in quotes because if you've ever seen me chaperone, you'd go, I don't think that's it. Um, <laughs> but together we went to Houston, Texas, which no human being should go to in July, for 20 to 25,000 people gathered in convention centers and the Minute Maid Stadium, worshiping together and studying the Bible together and just enjoying life together and eating together and going to sessions together and, and all other kinds of things. And they got to share their experiences two weeks ago. Today I want to share with you mine confessions of a pastor, of a parent, of a chaperone. It's kind of all three. Because as much as we like to say, I'm going to put on the dad hat now, or the pastor hat now, or the chaperone hat now, we're always wearing all of our hats simultaneously, aren't we? And when I say confession, I don't want you to hear that the wrong way. I mean it more along the lines of like Augustine's confessions, not so much apologies that I need to make in the sense of like, oh, I'm sorry, but confession as my own musings 
reflections and insights, not so much giving an excuse for things or having to give a reason for something as much as it is just my perspectives on what we shared together. And hopefully in the course of this message, my perspectives will benefit you, students who were there. I'm primarily talking to you today. It was incredible to be there together. And and one thing that I missed was the chance to just kind of debrief even deeper. I loved our debrief times together and just savored it and, and desired even more. And maybe today I can share a little of what I would like to debrief. But adults and others who were not at the gathering, I think and I hope that maybe in what I'm going to share directly to a few will indirectly bring benefit and insight to your own spiritual journey as well. Like any mass event or any gathering of people, we witnessed and experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly. And like any mass event or any gathering of people, your experience with it really comes down to one thing what you choose to make of it. This is confession number one. Life is what you choose to make of it. I mean, you can spend your life sitting back, critiquing everything around you and blaming others for why they're not doing more to give you a better moment or you can get off your rear end and get into the game and just make the most of whatever it is that is being dished up. And you guys did amazing at that. But let me tell you, it's not just about mass events. It's about everything. For those who pour themselves in, it is the singular reason that makes something meh to, you know what I mean? You will see this with people throughout life. I have witnessed people who are married to the most amazing, sacrificial, generous, and beautiful human beings. But they choose to critique and sit back passively as though that person was brought into their life to make it better for them. I see people work in the most wonderful jobs, the most exciting venues, and go to the most amazing schools and have the most amazing opportunities and come in with an attitude that just kind of says, what can you do for me? That kind of attitude, it'll leave you to missing the, word, to, to, to missing the best that life has to offer. And for those of you who poured yourself in, you know what I mean. Life is what you choose to make of it. And those of us who went and poured ourselves in regardless of how hokey this aspect was or this lead balloon that joke went or that flat or that frustrating or that difficult this aspect might have been, those of you who poured yourself in, ah, those of you who came back with a less than positive response, 
I just encourage you to start your own self-discussion by asking, does it have less to do with them and more to do with me? But like any mass event, there was good, there was bad, and there was ugly. And let's not soft pedal it. Let's not dance around it. Making the most of life doesn't mean lying. The good. For three days, we gathered in a convention center and scattered throughout the day were these breakoffs where you could gather with 20 or 50 or 100 or as many as 500 to 1,000 in rooms as teachers and, and leaders and, and entertainers were brought in from around the country sharing their faith and their heart. The breakout sessions, guys, would you agree, were like second to none? Oh my gosh, this is the seventh gathering I have been on, and I can tell you that these were the best breakouts I have ever seen. They were good. The ugly? Shuttling. No one should be in Houston in the month of July. And no one should especially be herded into school buses without air conditioning in Houston in the month of July. Imagine adults, if you can, for a moment. 25,000 people gathered in Minimate Stadium. And imagine them getting on going, it's over. And imagine now 25,000 people rushing out with no idea where they're going to get put on buses to be brought to hotels that are 30-minute driving distances away. Now imagine it for a moment without anyone setting up queues, without lines, without directions, without signs. We would get done with these things, and it would be sometimes a two-and-a-half and for others three-and-a-half-hour wait before people got out of this mass event before they finally got back to their hotel that night. It was ugly. It was ugly, but you know what I saw? I saw people gathering on sidewalks in 104-degree heat having dance parties. I saw people gathering out in lines while those of us who are adults are cursing the sky and humanity for being here in the moment, doing karaoke. I saw people high-fiving and having fun because life is what you make of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. There were so many good, positive, and wonderful things that happened at this event, and there were ugly things too. But let's not mince words. You know what was bad, and would you agree? The Bible studies. What a shame. I watched your guys' eyes glaze over as we sat through this drone, monotonous, boredom, senseless, purposeless, blah, that they called Bible study, Gwen so wisely did not make you attend after the first day. They were so bad. Make no mistake, they were well-intentioned, but boy, did they suck. <laughs> Which leads me to confession number two. Don't ever let anyone kill the Bible for you. Don't ever let anyone dupe you into believing that the Bible is a boring, stale, lifeless, dead book. Not me, not a youth leader, not a teacher, a church, or a pastor. 
not a denomination or event. Don't let anyone fool you into thinking it is anything less than the life-giving, life-breathing, life-changing message of God that is alive and well and active and more relevant than it has ever been. It is a source of secrets of the universe. It is a source of insight into the cosmos. It is a source of insight into your deepest soul. It is a picture and window into who God is. And what a shame that that didn't communicate out in those three sessions we were supposed to attend that they called Bible study. Now look, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not here to kick them in the teeth. They were well-intentioned. And sometimes people do their best or do what they think is gonna work and it just kinda, we experience this every week at FOF. All right? Sometimes the grandest intentions just don't translate the way we anticipate. But I so desperately wanted to stand up or gather you guys around and just kind of give one of these Hollywood movie no's as I watched this train called Bible study careen off the cliff. I wanted to gather you together and go, let me tell you what this passage is about. Let me tell you what it really means. Let me get you into it, not in a way that you're getting spoon-fed, spoon pre-packaged jokes, but letting it speak for itself. Every national youth gathering has a theme. And behind that theme stands a passage. Ours was this. And I'll put it here on the screen. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Here's what I would like you to do. Those of you who don't know it and who didn't have the benefit of being there, those of you who were there, maybe with fresh ears, what I want you to do is just close your eyes for a moment. And I mean it, actually close your eyes. If you fall asleep, it's okay. There is no better sleep than church sleep, I guarantee. Let God speak for himself. Listen to what these words that God has to say. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things are created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in all things he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. You can open them if you'd like. There are no more amazing, powerful, wonderful, deep and insightful words that God can ever say. I know it feels like Bible speak. I know it's pa 
act dense. I know you can lose the sight of it, but you can spend a lifetime learning and memorizing and sucking the marrow out of a passage like that, and it would not be a life, well, it would not be a life wasted. Now, at our gathering, they took this passage, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and out of it, they extricated a theme. Those of you who attended its quiz time, what was the theme? You got it. You got it. All right. And one person was happy. <laughs> Who is his mom? All right. In all things. In all things. And every night we would gather at these mass events and, and they would get us chanting. We should just do it today, shouldn't we? And we go, in all, come on. All right, okay, that was practice. That was warm-up. And believe me, they had to do that at the event too. And by the 95th time of saying it on the first night, it kind of sunk in. Ready? In all things. 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 What are we talking about? Look with me at Colossians 1, 15 to 20. There it is in white text. That's what I just said to you a moment ago. But now look at it with a certain highlight strain put in it, and you are going to see a theme jumping off the map. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. You say the yellow. All things. Were created by him and for him. He is before. All and in him. All hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that. Which is the same way as saying. All he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And what these gathering planners sought to do was extract out of this amazing, dense, wonderful, confusing passage the significance and the weight of this perspective of God with all things, in all things. But the more I went through the event, the more something struck me. And this is confession number three. They missed what the passage was about. They missed what the passage was about. They talked about all things. They used the language of all things. They gave examples of all things. But in the process, and I don't think intentionally, don't hear me wrong, they fundamentally missed something. Because the passage is not about all things. The passage is about something else. And it's about something so obvious that we can miss it but so profound that if we do, it leads to train wreck. Not just at an event or a gathering or a Bible study, but in life. 
you know what the passage is about? It's about Jesus. And they made the entire gathering about you. The passage in theme is about Jesus, but for four and a half days, I watched adults slaughter themselves on the altar of you, trying to make it about you, your needs and your wants, your feelings and your struggles, your trials and your temptation, your amusement and entertainment, throwing themselves out there again and again, inadvertently going, how do we get this to be about you? You know what confession number four is, or nine, or 14, or whichever number we're on, I don't know. But the confession I'd like to make today is that life is about Jesus. It's not about you. Those things I mentioned a moment ago, those are good things. They're wonderful things. And God delights in those things and is interested in those things. Never doubt that for a minute. But it is not about you. Let me give you this passage now with a different set of highlights. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn overcall creation. For by him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy and the place at the center of life. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell where? In him. In him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Hear me, all things is certainly there, but without him, all things are meaningless. Your needs and your wants, your struggles and your temptations, your difficulties and your challenges, your joys and your amusements, They're good things, but without him, they don't matter one bit. Because what God fundamentally invites us to do is get our eyes off ourselves. Going, what's in it for me? How is it relevant to me? How does it move me and make it about him? Now, while you guys were going to some of the student breakout sessions. They had like the secret club, like adults only, right? Right? They served beer and had couches and cranked the air conditioner. No, they didn't. They didn't. But they had these members-only clubs called adult-only sessions. And you know what adults would do? They would gather often in smaller groups, 20 to 30 and 40, and they would lament. They would lament going, we don't know what we're doing. 
They would lament going, we don't know how to connect with this generation. They would lament going, look at what they have to face and we don't know what to do about it. I went to one event which was all about ministering to Gen Z. By the way, do you know that you're Gen Z? You're Gen Z. It's almost as cool as Gen X, but not quite, all right? But it was a bunch of Gen Xs and millennials gathering together to learn about Gen Z. And yes, there were some boomers there too. There are still boomers in student ministry. Give it up for boomers who do student ministry. Because man alive, could you imagine being 67, retired and going, this is what I want to do, right? And there are those who are out there who are passionate about you. But I went to one of these sessions talking about Gen Z and I jotted some notes. I'm going to share them with you today. Here's what they're saying are trends in your generation. You like your parents. These are generalities, mind you, all right? <laughs> and you are more inclined to stay home into your 20s than any other generation before. You like being with your parents. There's a drop in getting driver's licenses. Mom will take me. I don't mind getting a lift. I like being at home with them. But on the other side, they'll say things like this, that the world has inadvertently traumatized you with things like response to terrorism and COVID response. That no matter what kind of good face you put on and laughter and joy, that you're so easily adept at stepping into, you're not really doing well, oftentimes under the surface. You put on the good face, but many of you are struggling. And the challenge is getting past surface levels to something deeper and more meaningful. 65% of you will work in a field that hasn't even been invented yet. The way that technology is growing and society is moving and globalization is happening. Oh, there are certain skills that will take you into every field and profession, but 65% are the estimates will work in jobs that don't even exist. And with that comes uncertainty. And I would add to it spiritual uncertainty as well as new challenges that generations before have never had to really face other than in the most theoretical kind of ways will become arguably closer to realities, the discovery of life on other planets. The ability to not only genetically engineer your body before it is born, but after it is. Human chimeras. The transfer of soul consciousness to databases and other people. Different definitions of what death means and how to properly interpret it. And dozens more of other things that have foundational kind of questions that it raises that you will have to discover and that means the future can look uncertain and scary, propelling even more of the anxiety, the stress, the worry, or even sometimes nihilism or depression or fear. 
that come along with it. Gen Z, your generation, is highest to note mental health issues. Two generations ago, people didn't really talk about it, except for a very select few who were institutionalized. But today, the widespread anxiety and depression, the suicidal thoughts, the struggles, the ADD, the bipolarism, and a thousand other things we can pepper it with. These are things that you face every day. Things that you seek to medicate and your parents seek to medicate away or self-medicate away. These are very real struggles and challenges of your generation. These aren't trivial things and it can be easy to stand at a gathering or in a Bible study or on a stage like today and be captured by them and moved by them and, and, and struck by them and convicted by them going, we've got to do something. We've got to communicate through something. We've got we've to help you out of it and inadvertently in the process making it all about you. Your struggles are real, don't hear me wrong. They are very real with very real consequences, don't hear me wrong, and they matter. They matter to millennials, they matter to Gen Xers, they matter to boomers. They matter to people who gather together in Houston. They matter to people who are planning behind it. They matter to the people who lead you in ministry here at this church. They matter to this body. They matter, and most importantly, they matter to God. Every struggle you face matters to God. But fundamentally, what this is showing us is that it is fundamentally not about you. That the more we put our focus on ourselves, the more we miss the point. Because the answer to every generation, not just Z, is to get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on him because it is only in that place that the universe starts to click, that things start to line up and make sense. And it doesn't necessarily mean the struggles and challenges go away. No, sometimes they're even more exemplified. But the call of God is get your eyes out of here and get your eyes on me. Because Gen Z, the universe does not revolve around you. It revolves around him. Or as this letter will later put it, Christ is all and in all. In your anxiety, Christ is all and in all. In your depression, Christ is all and in all. In your uncertainty of the future, Christ is all and in all. In your bondage to whatever it might be, your slavery to digital things or chemical things or relational things, Christ is all and in all. In your joy and laughter, Christ is all and in all. In your future, Christ is all and in all. In your present, Christ is all and in all. 
In your suicidal struggles, Christ is all and in all. In your manipulative boyfriends, Christ is all and in all. In the packed buses with three-hour waits and 104-degree temperatures, Christ is all and in all. And in the moments of joy, when the fireworks are going off and the people of God are screaming at the top of their lungs and praise to him, Christ is all and in all. It is there. And you know what the great irony of this is? It leads me to the final confession I'll make today. Is that when you shift your eyes off yourself and make it more about Jesus than about you, he often throws in all other things to boot. This is a guy named C.S. Lewis. You guys ever hear of him? You know what his first name actually is? It's not C, because it's C, right? It's Clive. Isn't that great? You know, what his, you know what his middle name is? Staples, like the office chain brand, you know? Clive Staples Lewis. How's that for a name, right? Gen Z, resurrect the name Clive. All right? I want to show you a quote. Here's what he says. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you won't get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin and in the end, despair. Now, I don't really know what that means to get soft soap, but apparently it's not a good thing, all right? Apparently we want the hard stuff in life. But you're following me, aren't you? This is great irony of life that when you seek truth, you'll often find byproducts that are things you want in the end. But when you seek comfort, happiness, security, or any other number of things I can sub in there for their own end, you often don't get them or the truth, either one. He is the image of the invisible God. Seek him. He is the firstborn over all creation. Put your eyes on him. He is the one by which all things hold together and is in all things. Put your eyes on him. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn among the dead. In him is supremacy. In him. You could take this little passage and I think substitute in him, or maybe Jesus. If you look for Jesus, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will, neither, you will get neither comfort nor Jesus. Truth, the source, the way, the life, the everything, the supremacy. You get what I mean. Guys, it was such an amazing five days together. I don't get the benefit of getting to do that with you a lot. Every week you get together with Gwen and the adult leaders and, and you get to share life together. It was such a privilege for me to come in from somewhat of the outside and share a different aspect of church life with you. Thank you for that. 
And it was a joy getting to know you and see your joy and your personalities and who you are. I just want to leave you with the final thought today that if you've gotten nothing else out of that gathering, I hope it's this, that your eyes are a little less here and a little more there as the center and meaning and purpose and hope of life. And adults, my hope for you is the same. My hope for you is the same.